uh, Julie, thank you for that wonderful testimony and encouraging us. And thank you so much, uh, Kathy, for that very precious prayer. It's been a wonderful time of worshiping our Lord together and singing His praises. Well, one of the critical questions of all history is this question right here. Who killed Jesus? There was a time in Europe in which the Jews were blamed. I read of a Jewish girl in the last century who her friends, uh, picking on her and tormenting her, uh, called her Christ killer. And there was a time in which the blame was pinned on the Jews. By the way, you really could turn the tables on the Europeans, couldn't you? Because it was Romans who drove the nails into the hands and feet. And so as they pointed the fingers at the Jews, there were three fingers pointing right back at them. At them. But we all know the real truth, don't we? The real truth is you and I killed Jesus, didn't we? Because our sins are what made the cross necessary in the first place. And so there is plenty of blame to go around. But today, I want us to think in a different direction. I want us to think not who, but why. Why did people kill Jesus? We all know that people's actions spring from motives. And so what were the underlying motives? When we look at those involved in the killing of Jesus, and there were at least four different groups in Mark 15, what we do is we see motives. But there's more here. We will not just be looking at a history lesson in Mark 15, but people still reject Jesus today. And they reject Him for the very same reasons. Uh, Just this Friday, I got a letter from uh, a young person that I've been witnessing to over a year and a half that I met at camp a year and a half ago. And I got this first letter back from them on Friday, and they said they cannot believe. And their reasons for not believing? Same reasons as here in Mark 15. And so today, as we begin this uh, message, and we'll complete it next week, what I want to see is this very simple principle that those who killed Jesus illustrate four motives for rejecting Him today. And so this is as up-to-date as the person you may witness to tomorrow. This will not only help you understand the people that you witness to, but if you are here today and you're not a believer and you say, "I, I don't accept this, it may even help you understand yourself. So let's open our Bibles, shall we, this morning to Mark 15. And let's look together at this answer. Who killed Jesus and why did they kill Jesus? We'll look at the first two today and the next two next week. Let's bow for prayer together. Father, thank you that your word is always up to date. It is as... uh, modern and as real as the person we might witness to in this next week. And Lord, uh, underneath the reasons why people don't believe our motives, some of us, before we came to faith, had these very motives as well, and, and you graciously brought us through those. 
And so we pray that you would help us to understand. We pray, Lord, that we would see the truth of your word and that understanding people better, we might be in a better position to help them come to know Christ. We love you now this morning for bringing us to yourself. Teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice with me verse 1 here in Mark 15. You can use the chair Bible in front of you if you'd like, about page 1013. And notice what we read. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Let's just stop right there. Here is the first motive for why people reject Jesus. And it is the motive of the Sanhedrin. And it is, Jesus makes me angry. Now, verse 1 here is describing the Sanhedrin who met the night before to try Jesus in the home of the high priest. Uh, This was the council of 70 who were the power brokers in Israel. And as you know from the gospel record, they were the driving force in the crucifixion. Others rejected Jesus but not nearly with the intensity and the hatred of the Jewish leaders. They despised Jesus with such vehemence that they had been planning his murder for a very long time. You know, there's a natural progression that goes like this. Anger is one step from bitterness... Bitterness is one step from hate, and hate is one step from violence. And the Sanhedrin had taken that final step. They so hated Jesus that they wanted the most violent, painful death imaginable as they stirred up the crowd to cry, crucify him. And we have to just stop at this point and say it is often true that religious people are the ones who get the angriest over Jesus' message. And the reason they were so angry at Jesus is because he treated them like everyone else, like sinners that needed to repent and believe in the gospel like all of us do. You see, one of the problems that makes a religious people very, very angry when they hear the gospel message is that we, we have to be honest. We think we're good, don't we? We think that our religious practices, they, you know, impress God. And we think that because we're going through some sort of religious system, that somehow that means God is, uh, uh, we're in a favored position with the Lord. Uh, you remember what the Bible says uh, in Luke 18:9 about the religious leaders, those in the Sanhedrin, like the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders? Uh, the Bible says about them, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. But what did Jesus do? Jesus did not flatter them. When he came and opened his ministry, he said, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that included the Sanhedrin. They needed to repent and believe. 
And when they refused and argued with Jesus, Jesus did not hesitate at all to expose their sins. He said they were self-righteous, they were power-driven, they were lacking in love and compassion. He said they were hypocrites. And rather than repenting, the Bible says, when they knew Jesus had spoken parables against them and about them, the Bible says they sought to lay their hands on him, but they refrained because they feared the people. And what we see in this first group that killed Jesus is they killed him because he made them angry. You know, we find the same today. I think back many, many years ago when I was living in Texas, the most angry response that I ever got to the gospel came from a church person. I've shared with you that uh, when I was a student in Texas, one of the jobs that I had was as, a, was as a chauffeur at a private girls' boarding school. And uh, I worked mostly with junior hires and teenagers. And I remember how deeply concerned I was for these poor little rich girls who had everything except Jesus. Everything except Jesus. And I really became concerned for them. Uh, I would open the door for them when they got into the 15-passenger Dodge van that I drove. I would cart them around to exclusive stores where they would shop, and then I would pick them up later. And I began to wonder, how can I reach them with the gospel? How can I share my faith with them? Well, one thing I decided to do was to leave tracks uh, up at the front of the van. There was a, a plastic hub over the engine in the front of the van right next to the driver's seat, and it had a convenient platform. And so I decided I would leave tracks there that if they wanted to, they could pick up and read. One day I came out to take one girl somewhere, one girl, and oh, was she mad. She had read the tract. And she led into me very, very angry over the gospel message in that tract. She was offended. And the odd thing about it was, she was a member of a major Christian denomination that has long since left the gospel in the rearview mirror. I had never been so told off, and it was by a religious teenage girl. By the way, you've never been told off till you've been told off by a teenage girl. And all I did was leave a tract for someone I was going to be giving a ride to. Can we just give a lesson here? When we won't believe the message, we'll become angry with the messenger, right? When we won't believe the message, we'll become angry with the messenger. And I have to ask us today, is that you? 
Is there something about Jesus that makes you angry? Maybe some point in this book, the Bible, that you cannot accept, and you would say to me, I cannot believe in Christianity because of this. Let me just be very, very clear, very clear. Jesus is right, and you are wrong. That is the message. And he will be patient with you as you struggle with that issue. He will be more than willing to help you as I'm going to try to do with this person who wrote me this letter. I'm going to write back and I'm going to try to help them with that issue. But here's the point. At some point, you're going to have to bow your knee before Jesus and say, you are Lord. And you're going to have to repent and believe. And when you do, Jesus will do everything for you that he came to do in salvation. Is there anyone here today, this is you. Jesus makes me angry. Is that you? Listen, he's Lord and you are not. He's right and you are wrong. And He will graciously love you. But you ultimately must repent and believe. Let's look at the second. The second motive is the motive of Pilate. And Pilate's motive for killing Jesus was this. Jesus makes me lose something. Jesus makes me lose something. Now, let me just say for every person who is in the first category, there are two in the second category. There are lots of people in this category. I, I can't believe in Jesus. I can't follow him because if I do, I'm going to lose something. Something that is very, very precious to me. Notice verse 1 says that when the Sanhedrin was finished with Jesus, they led him away and they delivered him over to Pilate. Now, I just want to stop here for a moment because there's a real opportunity for us to learn something that I think all of us rejoice in. Do you know the critics said that this account about Pilate is made up because there was no solid evidence for a ruler of the Romans named Pilate? The only evidence that we have is in the Bible and uh, Josephus and some other uh, historians uh, that were Christian in nature. But they said it's not possible for a ruler of this magnitude to have totally disappeared in uh, Roman annals. And so they said uh, this story here about Pilate is made up. Are you ready for one of the greatest archaeological finds in modern archaeology history? Let me share it with you. In 1961, an Italian archaeologist discovered a limestone at Caesarea Maritima in Israel. On the face is a monumental inscription written in Latin, which is part of a larger dedication to Tiberius Caesar, which clearly says that this monument was from Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. 
Emperor Tiberius reigned from 14 to 37 AD, which matches exactly the biblical timeline that records Pontius Pilate ruling as governor of Judea from 26 to 36 AD. Once again, the critics are wrong. The Bible is right. Are you surprised? May I say to you something today? You can trust this book. This is not fiction. This is not made up. This is history. Now, for us to understand this interaction, we must know something about the career of Pilate. Uh, Pilate, as the governor of Judea, came yearly to Jerusalem at Passover to quell any unrest that might occur amongst the Jews. He was not friendly to the Jews. He was anti-Semitic. He despised them as a defiant and rebellious race. He had already had several run-ins with the Jewish people that greatly provoked them. And as they bring Jesus before him, he would have loved nothing better than to free a prisoner they wanted condemned. So he is already predisposed against the leaders, and then he realizes that Jesus is innocent. Look at verse 2. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Now isn't that a strange answer? Are you the king of the Jews? And he responds, you have said so. That's not really a yes or it's not a no. Isn't it almost a yes and a no? What Jesus is saying is not as you think. It was a yes with a qualification. What he is saying is, I am king of the Jews, but not a revolutionary like they claim. Now Luke tells us that Pilate declared Jesus not guilty. So in verse 3, the chief priests accused him of many more things. So Pilate examined Jesus more. Verse 4, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But notice, Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Silence like this in a Roman court was rare. And it confirmed in Pilate's mind his suspicion that Jesus was innocent. And so he did three things that we know from the other Gospels to try to release Jesus. In Luke 23, when he found out Jesus was a Galilean, he sent Jesus to Herod, hoping that Herod would take the case off his hands. But you know what happened. Herod made fun of Jesus and sent him back to Pilate. Then in Luke 19, we are, or John 19, we are told that before he sent Jesus, before the mob to be crucified, that Pilate flogged him with the cat of nine tails. When we get there a little bit later in the chapter, we'll talk about what a flogging did. And Pilate's hope was that when the crowd saw this man flogged, that would be enough and they would end it right there. But you know, that didn't end it. 
And so the third thing that he did was he sought to release Barabbas. Look at verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. Among one of the rebels in prison who had committed murder in their insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. Evidently, there was a goodwill gesture every year at Passover that they would release a prisoner. This was called the Passover amnesty. And that very morning, a crowd had arrived at Pilate's hall to ask amnesty for Barabbas. And we're told that Barabbas was imprisoned for murder in their insurrection. Now, we don't know much about this revolt. But Barabbas was a main leader. There was a group of Jews in that day called the Sicarii, which means dagger bearers. They were violent. They were fanatics. They were pledged to murder and assassination. And Barabbas was like that. I sort of liken him to a, a Jesse James type who is idolized as a, as a patriot who takes on the powerful on behalf of the oppressed. And the people saw Barabbas like that. But here's what Pilate believed. Pilate believed that if he offered the mild Jesus for the Passover amnesty, that the crowd would choose him instead of the murderer Barabbas. In fact, look at verses 9 and 10. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered them. You know what the problem was? The crowd that morning were Barabbas supporters. They would never side with a Roman leader over their own leaders. And when they realized that Jesus was a threat to the release of Barabbas, it was not hard for their leaders to stir them up. Look at verse 11. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Do you understand the difficult position that Pilate was in? He was in a very, very dangerous position. Having offered the crowd their choice, he had now given to them control of the situation. Riot fever was already in the air, and the last thing that Pilate wanted was to mismanage a riot. You know, it was even putting more pressure on Pilate. His mentor and political ally was a man by the name of Sejanus. And he had recently been executed for displeasing the emperor... And so Pilate wanted to avoid the same fate. And so look at verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. 
What do we learn about Pilate? Well, I think we learn something very important. He was a politician without character. He put his career before everything, before principle and before people. Though he believed that Pilate or that Jesus was in innocent, he was willing to sacrifice Jesus for what he valued most. And Pilate did not kill Jesus because Pilate, Pilate killed Jesus because if he didn't, he knew he would lose out on what he wanted most. Let's make a little application here this morning. Many people have the same reason as to why they reject Jesus. Because they know if they accept Him, they're going to have to give up something that they really like. All of us want to be comfortable. We want to be disturbed. But if there's anything I know about reading about Jesus, the one thing He will not do is allow us to remain undisturbed. That's something He will not do. And so often we have to have this issue of what do I want? Do I want what I want the most or am I willing to let that go and instead come to Jesus in faith and repentance? I will never forget many, many years ago uh, in my first church that I was sitting in my office having a conversation with a young man. And he had two very serious sin problems in his life. One was he was using illegal drugs. The second was he was living openly in fornication with his girlfriend and her little toddler was living in the home with them. And as I was aware of this situation, I thought, can you imagine having a little toddler in a situation like that where drugs are flowing in and out of the house Uh, on a regular basis. Well, these two issues came up in our talk as I shared the gospel with him. And I will never forget what he said to me. This is what he said. I can give up the drugs, but I can't live without sex. I had never in my life heard someone Put it so bluntly. And I explained to him, it doesn't work that way. Jesus does not make bargains with sin, does he? He doesn't say, well, you're willing to give up the drugs. Wonderful. I guess we'll just let the illicit sex go. No, he doesn't make that kind of a bargain. He doesn't say, let's make a deal. You see, repentance means we are willing to turn from whatever is wrong and come to Jesus. That's what repentance means. And it's as though I'm still in that office. This happened well over 20 years ago. And I watched that young man say no to Jesus and yes to what he really wanted and walk out of our office 
back to his home. Would you like to know what happened? The police caught up with him. They always do, don't they? One day the police came to us and said, there's drug running going in the alley behind your church out of this man's home. They said, uh, can we use the upper story of your church, the second floor, to cap surveillance on the alleyway as we watch what's going on? And eventually, eventually, they caught up with him. Never forget, I can give up the drugs, but I can't live without sex. And he walked away from Jesus. I couldn't help but think of Jesus' words in Mark chapter 8. Let me read them for you. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what is a man profited, though he gain the whole world and all that he wants and thinks that he needs to have and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's a well-known pastor by the name of Francis Chan. And I love how he summarizes Jesus' words. Look at what he says. The world says, love yourself, grab all you can, follow your heart. Jesus says, deny yourself, grab your cross, and follow me. And Pilate chose the world's way, didn't he? Pilate said, I can't lose my position if I don't respond to the mob. I may be reported just like Janus. And so though he believed Jesus was innocent, yet to attain his position, he sacrificed Jesus. He grabbed all he could get. He followed his heart. He loved himself. But what did he lose? He lost what Jesus was offering. And here's the lesson of Pilate. The lesson of Pilate is this. You may lose what the world offers you. But when you repent and believe, you will gain what Jesus offers. And there's no comparison in the trade-off. Let me ask you today, do you fit in one of these categories? I reject Jesus because I'm angry. There are things in this book that make me upset. I'm angry. Jesus is right and you are wrong. And you're going to have to come to that place where you bow the knee to him. Maybe it's something tightly that you are grasping on and you say, I can't live without this, but I know if I come, that has to go. And you're right here. You're right here where everyone who comes to Christ is exactly 
where Francis Chan says they are, and you're making that choice, please remember, though you may lose what the world has to offer, you will gain what Jesus has to offer. And there is no comparison. Let's bow our hearts together, shall we, this morning? I'm grateful for the opportunity that we have to look at the crucifixion scene because it gives us the other side of the gospel that we follow a suffering Savior who was rejected, who was refused, and who was hated by this world. And the message of the gospel always has these two sides. Come to Jesus, he'll forgive you, he'll give you eternal life, he'll give you a home in heaven. But you will be rejected by the world, you will suffer, you will lose sometimes the things that this world says you must have. And when we come to the crucifixion scene of Christ, we we see the other side. That there's a cost involved in following and knowing and believing in Jesus. And when we give the good side of the gospel, but we do not give the difficult, the hard side, the cost side, we're only giving half a gospel. We're not really giving the truth. And so today is we're seeing that other side. Maybe it's part of the reason that you have not responded to Christ. And I just would appeal to you today. The Bible is a book that gives us true history. It is not a book of fiction. The things that we read really happened in Christ affirm them by rising from the dead. He is Lord and Savior. He is alive now. He is coming again. He will one day judge the living and the dead. And we are living in a day of grace where He offers you His salvation. Pilate ended up disappearing from the pages of history. And what we read is eventually Pilate's life went down the hill so fast that he ended up committing suicide. And now he is not not even found in the record books of the very people that he ruled over. And so today the lesson for you is come to Jesus no matter what it may cost. And He will save your soul for eternity. Turn to Him now. Thank you, Savior. In Jesus' name, Amen.